0: The Football Frenzy. Hey, you me so hard down there. The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. All right, here we
1: go. Five o'clock hour. Cofield and Company. Thanks to Stanford Route for popping on with us. He's in Memphis. He's working with his alma mater, the Houston Cougars. We got two big football games involving teams from the state of. Nevada and of course it's UNLV tonight right here on ESPN Las Vegas pregame goes at 7 o'clock we're in San Jose Adam Hill is set up at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Uh, games underway right now Memphis is up on Stanford's team 7 to nothing and there's a big 10 game Adam and I'm trying to watch a little bit of it but got to do the show got to be a pro don't want to get too annoyed too worked up so I'm going to focus I'm going to focus it's real barn burner. Uh, well, it's, I don't care if it's a barn burner or not. I just want to win. Let's do it. Crunch, crunch. <laughs> I don't know that San Jose has a great tailgate scene. I know for the Rebels, it's starting to build a little better around Allegiant Stadium. And for tailgates, you're going to have a lot of finger food. And we were a little tweaked when we found some audio earlier. We mentioned it in the show. But I wanted to bring it up to the 5 o'clock audience. People are driving home. We didn't really get to finish the whole discussion. Uh, Greeny, who, of course, does a bunch of different, Mike Greenberg does a diff- bunch of different shows for and podcast for ESPN, ESPN Radio, went on another podcast and rolled out his bit about fork and knife is good for everything on the face of the earth unless you have to eat something with a spoon. And we disagree, but let's let the uh, Upper Crush radio host kind of lay out his knife and fork plan.
2: There is nothing you should not eat with a knife and fork except for things that must be eaten with a spoon. This became a very big deal when I ate wings on Super Bowl Sunday last year with a knife and no. fork. I eat sandwiches with a fork and knife. I eat pizza in New York. I'm from New York City. I eat New York City slices of pizza with a fork and knife.
1: I don't really believe he's from New York City. If you go to prep school and then Northwestern, you kind of you lose your New York card. You certainly wouldn't. Don't come over the bridge because we'll annihilate you. We'll beat you up. I came up with more things that you absolutely have to eat with your hands. Okay. Now, I mean, he just mentioned some of the popular things that people will fire back with, like pizza. I mean, you can, you can slice it up. It just ain't as good as a folded slice. It just isn't. It just isn't. Um, I don't think you can do shrimp for the whole experience with a fork and knife. I think it'll suck. I'll give you another one. Because I'm cheap, there are times that maybe late night, I will go and get some tacos, right? And we're talking about from the chain places. I don't eat one of them. I try to reheat it, they're impossible to retweet. That will have to be eaten with a knife and fork, but you cannot get the taco experience fresh with a knife and fork. You just can't do it. You have to pick it up. Right? It ruins the integrity, it ruins the integrity of the experience.
3: Yeah, I think you're right, and we were talking about the subs earlier. Like, he I said feel he cuts like
1: sandwiches. Come on,
3: and you can do that, but how small? You, you can't cut like a sub. You can't cut up a sub and then eat it. It's just—it's a ridiculous. It's gonna fall to apart. Make. What do you have?
1: I mean, you could you could cut it, I guess, and then take toothpicks. But then here's the thing: you still gotta pick up the toothpick because the toothpick would hold the mini sub, the little morsel of sub together. You still can pick it up.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean. All of it is preposterous. I, I think we can all yes. agree with that. At some point, you're going to have to do it. I disagree with you on the shrimp, though. I think you could do it. I think you can slice it up and then you, use you your fork it. to dip it in the cocktail sauce. You do it and
1: see how it goes. Um, I will throw this challenge out there. Can you eat a muffin with a
3: knife and fork? Um, yeah, you could do that, I think. God, that's just awful. Okay, it's not going to be as good. I'll give you another one. A...
1: a Buttered or cream cheese bagel, or a, like a bagel breakfast sandwich. You're gonna cut that up?
3: Yeah, I, th- I mean that's insane. That's an insane way to eat something. I, can't, will, I can't even. You will that. die.
1: On, you will die on this hill. Okay. Olives. Yeah. Pork that's and a good knife one. on an olive.
3: Well, even if you go like extend it, because I'm I'm picturing it like on a like a veggie tray. Yeah what are you going to you're going to go up to a veggie tray like you're at a party i mean i don't think anybody is inviting him to a party i think that's the yeah. problem but you go up to like a veggie tray Are you going to use a fork to dip it in the the dip and then eat it or how are you going to how are you going to go about approaching that
1: i guess you dump it out you dump out the sauce or whatever ranch on your plate um ari comes in with a good one and i had this one on my list you can't do corn on the cob you can't uh, you don't seen, want to, i've seen
3: old people do it
1: you don't want to do john mayer and chug the corn, uh, sure. you know, like your Linda Lovelace. You can't, you don't want to do that. You, but you gotta, you gotta have the hands on the corn to do corn on the cob. It's not you can't cut it up, like because you're right. I have seen it, and I think one of my parents did it, where you, you hold the cob up and then you're like, with a yeah, back down, and then you just got kernels of corn. Like then, just open a can of corn.
3: I think my, I think my grandma had the the fake teeth. I think that's why you had to you had sure. to do it that way. But yeah. if you're, if the whole goal is just to avoid using your hands, though, couldn't you go with those? Like uh, the holders on the end, because then you're not actually touching the corn on the cob. Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, so, I'll give you another one. And technically, you don't, you don't really eat it with your hands, but you can't cut it up. It, you cannot eat this with a knife and fork because the, the whole thing is built to be all rolled and smushed, sushi. Yeah. Could you take a piece of sushi, cut it down the middle, and not have it just? Disintegrate. The whole thing is ruined.
3: Well, you go, you go, uh, chopsticks, though.
1: Right, but he said a knife and fork.
3: But he, I think he means utensils. No, no, no. This no, whole no. Thing is, then you His whole thing that. is not touching the food. Then you
1: need to say that. And the other thing is, he may not be able to use chopsticks. Not everyone can.
3: That's true. Uh, but I, I was just, I was also just putting it together. Like, what about a roll? Like a, you go into like a, a buttered roll? You're gonna ch- chop that thing up and eat it yep. with a knife and fork? Uh, it's insane. Greeny
1: saying everything in the world should be eaten with a knife and fork. There is no such thing as handheld food unless you're using a spoon. I'll give you, I'll give you ones that he cannot, you cannot do it. This I cannot be beaten on this one. Ready? Bruschetta. <laughs> sure. It's toast. Like, usually it's hard, crunchy toast. And the stuff on the top is just ready to fall off. You start going with a knife and fork?
3: I don't think he's eating bruschetta.
1: Okay. And you want the last one? I mean, I guess you could do it, but I feel like like the the juice is part of it. How would you eat oysters with a knife and fork?
3: I threw that one out earlier. Yeah. Th- that was, I mean, that was one of my first ones. How? I guess he's just not eating them. Is that? Is that the other Maybe part of this? Is. is that... You're just eliminating like half the foods in the world because you just won't eat them if they don't, right. if they can't be done. And you,
1: you nailed the best, an ice cream cone.
3: Yeah, to chop that thing up.
1: I mean, I guess you could hold it like, I mean, what the waffle cone kind of brought that in where you got a spoon and you're scooping it out.
3: I, there's so many things like you can do French fries with a knife and a fork, but you're, that's what you're doing, really.
1: Yeah. Would you Would you cut up an ice cream sandwich? Oh yeah.
3: <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah
1: would you uh, i guess more of them now are like bomb pops how could you could you cut up a bomb pop with a stick almost to the top of the icy substance and eat it with a fork and a fork and knife
3: no no he's not eating those but i think again i think we are missing the point the, what he's saying is he just won't touch food that he's eating oh, man. that's his that's his whole premise so i think he would say as long as it's on a stick because obviously a corn dog you're not chopping that thing up. Right. But I think as long as it's not a stick, you're okay. You just, I think the whole thing is you can't touch what you eventually put in your mouth.
1: So Broncos bringing the first result of the week for the AFC West, and it sucked. They were terrible. No touchdowns in the game. The Colts weren't much better. 12-9 final. All the haters came out for Russell Wilson. Uh, the haters came out for Thursday Night Football, for the matchups. I saw one guy write. That Al Michaels is absolutely furious. He has to watch this. Kirk Herbstreet, hardened by many Big Ten West games, is unbothered. There's <laughs> some bad football in the Big Ten. Bad there quarterbacking is. and bad football.
3: I mean, it's not. Uh, look, not to harp on it, but your team is playing in one right now.
1: <laughs> it's a ten nothing barn burner, and I'll take it that way. But yes, it's not the most exciting thing.
3: So I mean, yeah, I think along, along those lines, it's. It's tough to to really, you know, start start delving deep into, you know, how bad football games are when you have to cover a lot of cover and say there a lot of them are um, are also awful that you enjoy and that you watch and that you're a part of. Uh, but look, I also want to make the point that yes, that game sucked and it was tough to watch. But guess what? I watched it and many other people did and didn't turn it off because even the worst. NFL game is better than almost anything else that's being put out anywhere in any kind of form.
1: Right. I saw a lot of people last night were like, "Yeah, if this were July and there's no football, you'd say, you know what? I'll take a 12-9 game. I'll watch it all day long."
3: <laughs> yeah, that—that's that, where I was. I, that's exactly where I was. It, it was looked. I found I found comedy in it. Yeah. I found part of it to be just funny, and there was plays that you just kind of laughed and said, "How did? How are they going to make it worse? Oh, this is going to happen now. This is insane." Uh, but yeah that that was part of it as well but because sports is such great programming especially the NFL even the worst of it is entertaining because you don't know what's going to happen next you you could have gone and we almost did go from the Broncos playing horrific offense for four quarters to putting together an incredible drive at the end now it fell short but it was a very good drive up until that point you just don't know what's going to happen
1: is America in 2022 capable of watching a football game and appreciating if that was about good defense last night, can America appreciate a good
3: defensive battle I mean there are parts of it, sure, but I think in for the masses it's tough I mean I would say there's probably a lot of people that didn't love the two- to- one baseball game today but I, th- I find it fascinating I enjoy it uh, but I, and I think there was a you know a segment of the baseball viewing public that liked it. And then a lot of people are like, "This sucks." Where's the home runs? Give me the home runs. And it's the same in football. You know, I think people can't appreciate solid defense. And look, there there was good defense being played last night. As much as the offenses were bad, and that I think was what more was more responsible for the score. I think there was good defense being played too, and you can't overlook that. And you can't. I mean, I guess you can say I don't like that. I'm not entertained by it. But you have to at least acknowledge it.
1: I'll tell you, I watched. A game here on TV last year San Jose State and San Diego State and I thought it was one of the best games of the year and it ended 1913 and that was in double overtime I I thought that the defense on both sides the speed and the, the hard hitting was beyond belief so I got appreciation out of it but I, I I'm not saying I'm some like special level football fan because I'm like a lot of people but that, that was kind of the vibe I was getting last night I'm like uh, these Thursday night games especially when they're ice out and people don't have another football option if they're going to be 12 9 whatever you know 13 10 most people are going to be like this sucks they just don't they don't they have no tolerance for a back and forth defensive battle
3: i'll go one step further i can look there's a chance it doesn't but i can almost guarantee next week's game is going to suck and i'm still going to be watching as soon as it starts till after it's over
1: i don't tell people again what the game is
3: commanders bears
1: jesus why are we doing this i mean we, we know the lousy team's going in like can't vegas step in and go all right these are the six or eight teams well, that we've got but that that have an over under win total of seven or less don't put them on primetime spots please
3: yes and no i mean first of all the the people that would be able to do that is amazon not not even vegas but uh amazon can say don't give us those we're paying a lot of money for it but the, the other side of that is every team has to play in them. You can't make the same teams play over and over again. So you've got you've to make sure every team has a Thursday game at some point. And why not just match two bad ones up against each other? I, like I said, I, it's not going to change my habits next Thursday. I'm going to be watching that game, and I know it's going to be bad. And it's not going to be entertaining. There's a small chance it is, but it won't be. But I'm still watching it because it's the NFL.
1: Raiders uh, had a big day of moves, so what have they brought in the last four or five days?
3: So Blake Martinez came in to the practice squad earlier in the week. Um, he's been kind of – there's been some flirtation there between him and the team, a lot of it because he knows Patrick Graham's system from playing with him a couple of times before, and he would be able to plug right in. So that was part of um, him coming in, and immediately, within days, was as upgraded to the active roster today uh, because he may be forced into duty. Uh, Denzel Perriman is out of protocol, full practice Ooh. today but oh, no. Jayon Brown is not. Jayon Brown is actually downgraded so Jayon Brown may be the, the, the issue this week uh, which means Blake Martinez could potentially fill in there if he's active on Monday but he is upgraded uh, to the active roster Justin Heron is a, is a tough one. He just came in a couple weeks ago, played last week. He actually was, uh, el- was a tackle eligible for about 20 plays in the game as he kind of played that blocking tight end role Uh, that Foster Morrow wasn't able to play because he was injured. And uh, he tore his ACL in practice yesterday. So he's done. He's shut down for the season. My God. Albert Wilson, veteran wide receiver, 30 years old, eight years in the league. He is signed to the practice squad. And Tyron Johnson on waivers. He's released. See if he's able to come back. If If he clears waivers, I think they'd try to bring him back to the practice squad. But this is a tough one for me. Uh, I I was obviously all over his uh, offseason and training camp performances. Thought he was a very potentially a big time weapon for this team. Uh, last night I actually did a video kind of breaking down all four snaps that he's had on offense this year and what he's done uh, for the team to be what? effective even without getting a target. Really? And uh, you can read the massive cover story we are doing on Tyron Johnson tomorrow in the RJ. <laughs> Wait, we. Just scrap that. Wow. Talk to seven players on offense, Mick Lombardi. Uh, Talk to Josh McDaniels, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams about what role Tyron Johnson has had even without getting a target this year. And that's gone.
1: What a bummer. And our original plan this week was to have Adam Hill on all five Cofield and Company shows. So thanks, Raiders. Now you cut the guy.
0: Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield Co.
2: You won't regret any, any time that you can have with your wife or your children. We've had some really good talks about it because him and I are very work oriented and uh, we have to remind ourselves sometimes, like, hey, make sure you go home, you love on mama, love on them babies, you know, instead of just going straight to work. You know, it's good to have friends like that and for reminders, but he's very excited, I, I can promise you. And The more days we keep going, that's gonna be a big baby, so I can't wait to see.
0: <laughs> Hang in at the Golden Circle Sports Book and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company.
1: Hey, Derek Carr on the way back there talking about Max Crosby with a child on the way. I'm going to warn everyone right now. This is the meanest combo of any sports radio show in the country yep. when it comes to loving on them babies. It, it, I'm just going to warn you now because Carr said something in the beginning there about work, work, work. Adam, do you want to do you want to talk about work? Like dedication to work? I don't have any, so not the right person to ask. Well... You have zero tolerance for anything but work. I was telling Candy yesterday, I've actually softened on this. Listen, if Max Crosby wants to miss the game to witness the birth of his first child, hey, I'm an old guy now. I have a little more perspective than I used to. Go ahead and do it. I guess I would do it. I never had kids. I don't have kids. And like I just said, I've softened on this. I don't know if you have. I have not. Really, even being around... Crosby and understanding who he is and his life and his comeback story and all that?
3: Well, it, everybody makes their decision. Like, I'm not making the decision for Max. I, I've talked to Max about this multiple times now. Um, I understand his perspective. They want the, you know, it's their first child. They want the most natural birth they can possibly have. They're not going to do anything to... They don't want to you know, induce it early? Right. And I, I was getting to that. Now, for me, I... If, if I was having the first child, it would be, okay, look, they played the a game Sunday. We have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of even Thursday to have the baby. This is what we're doing. And if if not, that's fine. Again, I'm not saying for Max and his situation. I'm saying if it was my situation. And if you don't want to induce and you don't want to do things to whatever, I don't, I don't know the issues that are necessary in this process, but... If you don't want to have the baby and schedule it and make sure it comes right now, I get that. I understand that. But if it's Monday, I'm not going to be there. Like, I, it's up to you. It's you. It, you know, it's our baby, but it's your pregnancy, and it's up to you. But here's my schedule.
1: <laughs> you know what's great about this is Adam really is. I think if it was your situation, like you were really in in this situation, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing. No. Like I I here's what's going to happen folks. Adam's going to be like 53 and he's going to meet some nice lady who's like 25. <laughs> and there's going to be some stuff and she's going to get pregnant and I I'll tell you right now Adam will take like 3 weeks off before and after.
3: No. No.
1: No. I don't believe you. It's not going to happen. But we're not going to know. Because as I predicted, you're gonna you're gonna be a 50-something and then marry a 20-something, and then it's gonna happen. That's so the dream. We got we gotta wait about. Hopefully, we're all doing the show in about 10 years. I wish I didn't have to, but I will be. Uh, maybe not here. <laughs> when I get fired. But but you watch, you watch. And there, you're softer. You are softer than you think you
3: are. Oh, it's possible. I, I, no, I, I definitely am in that way. But it's also one of the reasons I just wouldn't want to be in that situation. Right. I I would, you know. I have, you know, close friends that have kids. I have, like, relatives that are kids, all those things. Like, I do want to be around them all the time. I do want to, like, play with them and hang out with them. It's why I don't want to have that situation because I don't want those distractions from work. Like, that's what's important. Kids and families are not important.
1: You know what's going to happen, too? You, um, so let's say you do this, right, and you're like, nah, I can't be around. You will have written, like, the greatest feature ever, and the same thing that just happened to you this week, the player oh. will be cut that week. And then your lady will be like, "Wait, you missed the birth of the child, and the story didn't even run."
3: No, but I would, I would be working in the delivery room. Like you, you can do your okay. job wherever. All right,
1: you would, you wouldn't actually witness anything. No, we're going be to. Like, the, I think, I, I think something happened. I don't know. I, we'll I have heard a, some
3: crying, and the kid was here. I mean, listen. One of the things I know people like to check on: what doctors are good, all those things. I would be doing advanced scouting on how good the Wi-Fi is in the delivery room. <laughs> That's how we determine where the kid is born.
1: Coming up, we're going to check in with uh, former UNLV player. as uh, UNLV is off to a great start here, 4-1. First time they've done that since 2003. We're getting ready for the game tonight. 7.30 kickoff, 7 o'clock pregame right here. San Jose State and UNLV
0: on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at me, JVT, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. It's
2: extremely fun to be able to lead a team with guys out there, we're all on the same page. You know, we we stress that a lot during practice, during the week, just over communicating and uh, looking at the fine details. You know, we we, we run these plays for so long, it's really about the the small things that we need to focus in on and make these plays perfect. So when you got all 11 guys out there working together on the same page, it's, it's great.
0: You are listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island.
1: UNLV quarterback, Doug Brumfield, on the way back. He's going to be a big focal point for that nasty front seven for San Jose State. Doug Brumfield by Pro Football Focus. Adam Hill is the number nine quarterback in the country, but up on that defensive line, Cade Hall and uh, Fioca, or Fajoko. I think they're 70 and 76 in the country as uh, edge rushers. So and they faced these guys before. So a big game on tap, and it's starting to bring up moments looking back at the history of UNLV football. Last time they went 4-1 and to start a season was 2003. That's a long time ago. Adam, you were around that team a lot. Larry Kroom and Dominique Dorsey formed a really dangerous duo in the backfield. They both went on to play a lot of pro football. And Larry Kroom is in with us now in Cofield and Company. Larry, how are you?
2: I'm doing great. Very, very excited and happy to be here with you guys. Uh, uh, thank you for even remembering an old guy like myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Can't forget him, right, Adam? No, not at all. Um, that, was a, that was a great backfield, a ton of talent for sure. What, what are your favorite memories of, of your career at UNLV after uh, transferring in?
2: Uh, all of, i would be quite honest. All of it was a great experience for me. Um, it was a natural fit from day one, um, very organic. Uh, John Robinson. Um, I had the luxury of growing up around John Robinson while he was at USC. I went to his camp ever since I was five years old. So when he came to uh, transfer to UNOV, I didn't have to take a trip or nothing. It was a no-brainer for me. Um, you know, he felt so like he's basically raising me in the football world, uh, leading up to UNLV. Um But speaking, when I got there, um, it was just a lot, I had a, I made a lot of connections. You know, obviously friends that I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and on top of that, it was great competition. We had Joe Harrow, you know, was an absolute stud. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do with life when I, I was red shirt and I would see this guy just tear it up. And then Dominique Dorsey as well, you know, was amazing talent, as we all know. Um, so I just embraced the, uh, the the opportunity, but at the same time, we all were very respectful. Uh, still, to this Day, um, which is uh, definitely in our days, was odd because you know, usually when you're competing with somebody. You know, he, he's, the, he's the enemy somewhat,
3: even though you're in the same team. Talk about, you know, growing up in, in California, going to Arizona, coming here. What made you decide Las Vegas is, is the spot, you know, after school?
2: Um, again, John Robinson had a lot of to do with it. Jason Thomas also had a lot to do with it. I played against Jason Thomas in high school. Um, we grew up in a, uh, right next door to each other. Um, Jason Thomas a little bit older than me. Uh, he's definitely a guy I looked up to um, throughout high school. Um, so being uh, in Arizona, I, I kind of watched you know be closely as just a fan. I had no idea I was going to transfer at the time, and uh, just, just there was a lot of um, you know recognizable faces there. So I just kept up with them, and and uh, I just I loved the way they played. Uh, you know the way John Robinson, everybody just let let it all hang out. They're winning. They're having success as well. Um, you know, and I was, I thought it would be something special to be a part of. Um, you know, of course, it was things we didn't get done, we would like to, but overall, to me, it was a special experience. Uh, a lot of people tell you, even my senior, I wasn't ready to leave. <laughs> I, you know, I, I really enjoyed my, my stay at DNOB.
3: What, I mean, you mentioned the name Jason Thomas. It, it brings back a lot of memories of watching him play football, but one thing I always heard about him but never saw was that he was a beast on the basketball court. How much did you see him Absolutely. play basketball? How good was he on the court?
2: Oh, my gosh. The guy was un- incredible at basketball. Again, I'm a huge basketball fan as well. So I got a, I got the luxury of seeing Jason Thomas. Let me tell you their lineup. They had Jason Thomas, Tyshawn Prince was on the team, uh, Tyson Chandler, uh, Kenny Bruner, I think, was a D1 athlete as well. Um, they The team was loaded. It would be standing room only in the, uh, for high school, and back then that was unheard of, you know, a lot of times. And Jason Thomas was uh, legit. I remember him uh, just showing up to a game one time and going for 30. They, they said he wasn't going to play. He just showed up at halftime. And uh, the guy was unbelievable. I, me personally being selfish, I wanted to play basketball, you know, V. Like, I, I he was that good. And uh, this this was an all around great athlete. Funny story, I ran into him at the airport actually two days ago too. <laughs> so, this is, so uh, uh, you know, you're great to see him. I didn't get a chance to talk too much to, uh, with him. We're both going opposite ways, <laughs> but um, great athlete, best, definitely one of the best athletes I've seen.
3: Yeah, for sure. And, and you're great too. We're talking, of course, uh, to former UNLV football player Larry Croom. Uh But you you mentioned, hey Jason, you see you see him, you catch up. Uh, tell people what you've been up to.
2: I'm I, I still living in Vegas,
3: loving Vegas. Um, I currently, I do a lot of
2: uh, property rentals. Um, I was blessed to uh, buy a few properties after playing. Um, so I, I frequent that. Still a, a, a vivid, uh, avid fan of, of football. So following UNLV closely as well, you know, try to attend the games and things of that nature. Um, I, and, hey, I, I, I love to do this. I love to get on with you guys every day, this, this <laughs> You know, I, I love the game still and just sports in general.
3: Eric right, Croom,
1: former UNLV running back. Keep going, Adam.
3: No, I, I was going to mention that, you know, 4-1 and one for UNLV, you still keep up with the program. Last time was a team you're very familiar with back in 2003. Yeah. What's it like to see this team kind of building up the way they are?
2: It's, it's, it's great. Um, first and foremost, I think this, the city of Las Vegas really deserves a winner. I mean, you know, we haven't had many – Um, I do remember being 4-1 back in 2003, the atmosphere changed, Um, it it, it, it was a great uh, electric atmosphere, Uh, you know, people were coming out, especially after West Con, things went through the roof, you know, for for a short time, Uh, I think we had a luxury of being even ranked at one point, you know, it it was a hot second, but I'm still holding on to it. (laughs) But uh, it is great, and at this point, I think the city has grown so much, obviously since 2003, um, so it's a perfect time for them to be 4-1, and the fan base, you know, I think i seen LeBron say it the other day, Las Vegas has uh, probably the, one of the best fan base. So to have a team 4-1 and playing in that beautiful stadium uh, has to be a dream come true. I'm, I'm just uh, proud of the guys, the younger guys, and, and how they're handling themselves thus far.
3: You mentioned the stadium. Allegiant is awesome. It's so great to see, you know, it looks big time when you're watching the game at Allegiant, but do you still have a soft spot for Sam Boyd? I mean, I know it had its its faults, but it was a cool spot. Absolutely. I still drive by it and shed a tear. I love Sam Boyd. Sam Boyd was a great stadium to me.
2: You know, I used to sneak up there even when I was playing uh, professionally. I would sneak up there, still work out and do things of that nature, just to run around on the field. I love Sam Boyd. Uh, I, I, I'll always be partial to that stadium, but hey, this Raider Stadium is unbelievable. <laughs> hey, this is, you okay. know, I've been in this. This is second to none. Um, I would, oh my gosh, I would have, I'd have been so thrilled to be up playing a stadium like that.
3: I'm, I'm trying to think back to the years you were there. Uh, I played there in high school for a game in the mm-hmm. like the middle of the field. It seemed like it was on a hill. It was like kind of you know, tilted down toward the sidelines. Was it still like that, or were they, had they fixed it? Um, that's an interesting question. I want to say that
2: initially when they had the grass, when I first came, I think it was my junior year and also my registered year, we still had the grass, and I think it still had to till. Um, as a <laughs> lot of fields did, you know, back then in the day, they had to the till withers in the middle. It, it was never really a, a even, I feel, back in the day. But once we put in the artificial turf, I feel like it leveled out um, uh, since then. Uh, but either way, it was, to me, I, I, I loved the stadium. I, I really did. It wasn't the biggest, but it, it was a great stadium.
1: Looking back to 2003, last time mm-hmm. the Rebels started off 4-1. and one. They've got a game tonight. I'm in San Jose. Larry Krum was with us. He was on the 2003 team. Your, your pro career was really interesting. You got to spend a lot of time in Europe. Where was your favorite place to play?
2: Uh, without question, Amsterdam. Amsterdam was was pretty much Vegas times five. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it, it was amazing place to play. Uh, we actually had a, a a great coach at that time. Uh, he went on to coaching uh, be a head coach for the Toronto Agonists too in Canada. But he he basically was, created a lax environment, but still uh, made made sure we kept the discipline. Uh, and it was just amazing experience. It's the culture. Um, embracing uh, being in Holland, and then I was lucky enough to play even in Germany and Berlin. But I would have to say Amsterdam was, was probably my favorite place to uh, play and, and live.
1: How big is American football in Germany? Because the NFL sent sending the Chiefs there this year, and it sounds like they really want to make Germany a, a regular stop and maybe eventually start pulling players out of Germany.
2: Uh, th- absolutely. I, I mean, technically they have. Um, yeah. I remember the DN that went to uh, I think Florida State. He's a guy that played over in German, uh, the German League for a while before getting a scholarship and going on. Uh, it's big. I think it's growing every year more and more. Um, I remember when I first started there, um, we, we did have a, a very good fan base. Amsterdam was uh, historically a good team out there. So they had a very good fan base. who made it very fun to play. Um, I think now, I think the last time I maybe played play was 10 years ago. Um, I could see it growing now. Um, I still follow a lot of guys overseas, and it's, Seems to be growing a lot. I can definitely see it uh, being a sport to reckon with. I don't, you know, it's nowhere near the soccer. I still think basketball may even be a, a, a level higher, you know, if we're talking uh, as far as fan base. But still, you you, you play some teams out there, and it, it's a packed stadium, it's sold out. I played in many stadiums like that out there, and I think they just get behind anything. They just have they have a real uh, a real. Uh, I think they have pride in you know whatever's going on in their town. So. Um, If you're in the right town, it's a great place
1: to play. Larry, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. We'll get you on later in the season. Hopefully UNLV keeps rolling and they make a a bowl game. But we're glad you're doing well. It sounds like you're doing real well.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Go Rebels. There
1: you go. Larry (laughs) Croom, former running back. And, Adam, you remember those days. Uh, Kroom on the 2003 team, Kroom and Dorsey combined for about 1,600 yards rushing.
3: Yeah, different styles for sure. Dominique was a little guy, real – Real shifty, very fast, and uh, a lot of power from Larry. So it was, it was a very good mix in the backfield back for those those Rebel teams. So as we said, last time the team was four and one.
1: We'll get you some leans and likes around the NFL from one Adam Hill and a little more of a preview of what's happening here in San Jose State as the Rebels were looking to go to five and one. But this is a really good San Jose State team they're facing, and of course the two coaches, Brent Brennan and Marcus Arroyo, big buddies. So they're putting that aside tonight. Follow
0: the guys on Twitter, at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez, or tweet the show at Cofield&Co. Cofield & Co. Cofield & Company presents... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bigger, bigger. Grab Bag.
2: Don't touch it. Don't even look at it.
0: Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, what the, what the, what the
2: Stick your hand in there, Dave.
1: Adam, do you think you've been desensitized when it comes to watching... NFL and getting like really mad because you cover so much football now.
3: Uh, yeah, I think so. For the I remember part.
1: you at times, well, over at Westgate, you know, we'd watch football, and you wouldn't sit near anyone. because you get so worked up over your old team, the Bills, like in to the point quarters. where you would start shaking?
3: Yeah, I would, I would be. I would disappear in late in games.
1: And there are times I get so frustrated watching sports that I'll start to hyperventilate and just go ballistic. That's why I love this so much, and I knew this guy was going to be awesome <laughs> doing NFL analysis. And some people were getting on him a couple weeks ago, um, or maybe it was last week with Tua. They are like, why didn't, why didn't Richard Sherman speak up? Like, well, we didn't know what the extent of the injuries were. To sit there and have a meltdown over concussions and protocol and all that would have been irresponsible. He actually did a good job by holding back. But last night, he, I think he had flashbacks. He got so pissed off in the post game. this was awesome.
3: You need one yard. Run the ball. What? What? Run the ball, hey, CT. All he has He's to triggered. do is run the football. Like <laughs> necessary criticism. I'm not. You know, I've said enough criticism for him. But God dang, run the dang ball. Like learn from <laughs> your mistakes. <laughs> learn from your mistakes. Run the ball. What could he, what could he possibly have been referring to? No idea. Not, Learn from not, your mistakes. What? Yeah. When have they made the mistakes before. With not Russell familiar.
1: Wilson? Not familiar with that scenario at all. Yeah, you could. You could feel all the pain coming back from the Super Bowl
3: right there. And, and by the way, it very easily could have been in Russell Wilson's head as well. Uh, not that they were on the one-yard line, but if you watch, I mean, obviously, so much has been made of the fact that KJ Hamler was wide open, but KJ Hamler was wide open on the route that was intercepted. Right, it was the same route. And so, could that have been in his head? Like, I'm not throwing this with the game on the line. I'm not going to do that same route, make that same mistake. So, I'm not even going to look that way? I mean, that's possible. I think it was in his head, too.
1: Frustrating night, though. Yeah, frustrating night there. So, back in the bag, we're at San Jose State. UNLV's getting ready to take on the Spartans. They've had some good games over the years. Last year's game was competitive. But not fun in the end, because you'll remember what happened at the very end of the game. It was one of those games where Rebels had ball in hand, chance to tie things. It was 27-20, and man, they had a blocking error, a protection error. Doesn't mean it was necessarily on the lineman or the tight end. You know, it may have been a call from the quarterback, and Cam Freel paid a big price. And the guys who have terrorized the Rebels over the years in the front seven are linebacker Kyle Harmon. Mahoko, defensive end, and Cade Hall, a defensive end. And as I mentioned earlier, both of those guys, you know, amongst like 550 edge rushers are inside the top 76 in the country. It's what their defense is built around. This is going to be an awesome test tonight for an offensive line that from guard to guard for UNLV has played really well. Again, to use PFF, Lee Fontenot at center and Preston Nichols at guard, the transfer from Charleston Southern. Uh, they've been playing at the top hundred level all year long. Both of the tackles, Davion McDaniel and Tiger Shanks, are coming up. They had a good game last week, but this is a next level test. And these guys have bullied the Rebels' offensive line for you know three plus years now. This is the key to the game.
3: It really is. Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's the key to most games. It's it's an easy thing to say, obviously, and it's one that. People have a hard time with because very few people are actually watching those matchups during a game you're watching the ball and that's what kind of what the game is about that's, that's, that's to be expected that's not a knock on anyone you really have to kind of watch back a second third time uh, to really appreciate those kind of battles but it's the key to a lot of games it's, it's particularly the key in this one as you mentioned a, a big you know error in that in that area last year uh, in communication and if you don't get them blocked up like they will wreak havoc on you and they will not allow you to do what you want to do and not only will they slow you down but they'll turn you over because if you get pressure that's what causes turnovers and that's when you get yourself in trouble so uh, not necessarily you know as a fan to watch those battles but it's something to keep in mind for sure throughout the game that if they can't win or at least neutralize San Jose State up front it's going to be a long night
1: and then it's decision time on a lot of plays for Doug Brumfield and while he's had to make some decisions, like going back to the Cal game was the real game where he, he had to you know, think things through and also worry about protection. And down the stretch, Cal was like, screw it, we're blitzing, let's go. And the Rebels had some trouble with it. So Brumfield is gonna be tested here. Now on the flip side, hey, if you wanna pin your ears back and leave the middle of the field open, uh, Brumfield's gonna take advantage of it. So I think that's really interesting. And then the other one is like, well, there's two of them. It's flashback time for the defense. One, the quarterback is Shevin Cordero, who the Rebels have played consistently back to 2018. And I don't mean consistently well. Last year they did a good job after the uh, first 20 seconds of the game. But Cordero's a really interesting guy because he will make mistakes. He will throw interceptions. But what he won't do is stop throwing. He he will throw and throw and throw, which is kind of reminiscent of the way Jay Norvell and Nevada attacked. But I think – the Rebels are a little bit different in the defensive backfield in that they're not destroyed on high-point balls. Now, we'll find out tonight. But the the cornerbacks and the safeties have gotten a lot better in terms of being ball-hawking and locating the ball.
3: Yeah, there, there's still been some breakdowns. You've seen guys go Idaho open.
1: State, double moves.
3: Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's something to clean up for sure. It's something to be aware of. And you have to know that they will make you pay in ways that maybe other teams have not But they'll, they'll keep trying it. They'll keep throwing it. But uh, as you said... You almost want them to try to throw a lot of those because as many as turn into big plays are just as likely to turn into turnovers.
1: Yeah. And the targets on this team, you know, they had a uh, big tight end, Deese, whose you know, dad played, Derek, in the NFL, and he killed the Rebels last year. He caught a big touchdown pass right down the middle of the field, a high-point ball. Well, San Jose State needed help, and when Jay Norvell left, yeah, he did try to take everyone to Colorado State, but what he didn't get was a of Cooks, and he might not have wanted them because Cooks, has been injured much of his career. He's had one real full season where he had to think it was 76 catches, but he got Elijah Cooks from Nevada and he got Justin Lockhart, who's a younger guy from LA who's a burner. He's 6'2, Cooks is 6'4. I'm telling you, when you're on the field and especially in the past when the Rebels were rolling out, you know, 5'9 and 5'10 cornerbacks, you're like, oh my God, this is such a mismatch, whether it's a deep high point or just basically a post-up. So Cooks is really interesting because He's been beat up the last couple years. Uh, this year, he's gotten out to a start where he's—I uh, think—he's got 20 catches for 350, maybe 367. Both him and Lockhart are averaging over 18 yards a catch. And you've got a guy who wants to throw the ball deep. Oh, mama!
3: How <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> fired up! Interesting, man. I, interesting I combination. It. It, it's and look, it's it's. I know there. You know, people aren't used to watching college football necessarily on Fridays. We're getting used to more and more, uh, but. It's, it, this is a game that, you know, being on a Friday night with the chance for a lot of people to watch it, uh, it it's a it's a chance to really make a mark, uh, not only locally, because I think locals are starting to, to jump on board, but nationally to say this is not the same UNLV team. It's not the team that's going to take the field and, you know, get blown out every time they're on TV. It's a team that's very competitive. And, yeah, they're underdogs tonight, but it's a winnable game, and it's a chance to just show – the progress that the program has made and i think that they are all excited about that
1: the line is six and a half san jose stay favored it got down as low as four open five and a half what do you think
3: i mean i think it's a field goal game either way so i'd, I'd probably lean to the rebels if you're looking to make a bet here but it's you know i, I don't think it's it's crazy to think one team could pull away and put the other team in, in tough spots and you know take advantage of playing with a lead if they're able to get it but i, I think it could be a very more likely back and forth affair
2: Stick your hand in there, Dave.
1: Good job by Ari today. Good job by John Von Tobel, who's uh, working all the controls here in San Jose. These shows are not that easy technically to pull together, you know, multiple spots. And uh, it was pretty awesome today. And we're going to be doing more of these with uh, basketball on the way. But really cool, really cool setting out here at the game. And we appreciate the folks down at Treasure Island and Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar hosting the show on a Friday. Tomorrow, Willie Ramirez and Gucci back on. That's a, a 9 a.m. show. Adam, you got any leaning likes or leans or likes? around the national football league
3: i mean i was i was looking at arizona staying close to philadelphia uh the eagles are you know obviously i i've talked about it a team i picked uh to be in the super bowl and so far so good but i think they might be getting a little bit carried away uh with their with the success that this team has had they they do a lot of things really really well Uh, i like what they've done with their defense i like uh certainly jalen hurts and and the offense that he's leading but Um, To start leading this kind of, you know, laying this kind of number on the road is difficult. So I'm I'm looking at Arizona uh, in that game. But Sunday morning, uh, we'll get some real picks. (laughs) Some real picks out of me Sunday morning over at the Westgate. Oh, you're in? I am.
1: Okay. Adam Hill hosting the uh, Sunday football preview show at Westgate. John Murray scheduled to be on the show. I'm curious to see where the Rams and Cowboys ends up for a number. I think I'm going to lay... The five-and-a-half with the Rams, I think they come out. They've been beaten up a lot this week in public. I think they take care of business.
3: I think Patriots too. revenge spot for Matt Patricia.
1: Well, that one might be a little bit different. Fascinating <laughs> game, though. Yep. Belichick defending Jared Goff. Like the Super right. Bowl. Thanks again to the folks down at Treasure Island, the folks here at San Jose State for housing the show. Ari, really good job
2: with all the guest booking. Stick around. pre game on Learfield. UNLV San Jose State starts up at 7 o'clock.